Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick. He is a CPA and CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst. He's the founder of CMR Associates, uh, which is a uh, CPA firm in Louisiana, and is the author of a new book called All the President's Taxes, What We Can Learn and Borrow from the High-Stakes World of Presidential Tax Paying. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I gave a little bit of your background, but give a little bit more of your background and how you got to, uh, to where you are today. Sure. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for having me on your show. And uh, not to go too far back, but I was a political scientist uh, major in college. I also did economics, and I thought I was going to go to law school. But uh, as I was going through college, I, I started taking accounting classes my senior year at the urging of actually a politician in Georgia who was running for Congress that I was volunteering for at the time. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, Ernst & Young and the other big four accounting firms and even smaller firms uh, recruit pretty heavily at uh, the University of Georgia where I was attending. And I really just decided that I wanted to be an accountant. And I decided that uh, law school wasn't for me, uh, even though I'd already kind of applied and been accepted to a number of law schools. And I just went straight into uh, the big four and I started my career at Ernst & Young. And I did auditing, which is different than tax, but the main career paths in accounting is audit or tax. There are not a lot of people that do both. I started in auditing, uh, found my way into, after a few years of auditing at Ernst & Young, found my way into a, an international company uh, on the management side of, of the accounting, uh, again, with uh, SEC reporting for publicly traded uh, companies or publicly uh, traded debt. And I was doing that type of work. Then we moved to Louisiana about eight years ago as a family, and there wasn't as much of that type of work, and I just started doing tax. And so I've been doing tax and small business accounting for about eight years now and really enjoyed it. And uh, and that's kind of where we are right now. Very good. So you've written this book, All the President's Taxes. Has this never been done before, a kind of in-depth look at how a president's filed taxes? So there have certainly been um, lots of news articles about uh, the presidents and taxes, but surprisingly, there hasn't been a book. And so that was one of the, one of the reasons I wrote it. I, I did some Google searches, and uh, there's, there's one individual that does a lot of kind of from a historical perspective um, kind of research on, on presidents and their taxes. But, you know, there is no book, so I was... I thought it was a great opportunity to kind of put myself out there. And, and I also was just really fascinated with the topic. And I think it's uh, just hits a lot of the uh, kind of points from uh, individuals, small business owners, but also has this political spin to it that is kind of fun and exciting. So your, your thesis behind this is that if we understand the way presidents file their taxes, we can learn things from it in our own tax strategies. Um, so we're going to go into it in great detail, but in general, kind of explain that, how you can learn from people that may seem kind of distant from the average person and actually apply some of those lessons in your own uh, tax life. 
Sure. So uh, I think part of my perspective on the topic definitely comes from the way that I ended up being a tax accountant. And I, I describe myself as a tax accountant, but I'm really kind of, uh, I just have a lot of different, uh, you know, my hands in a lot of different types of accounting. But, you know, this idea that most people either do audit or tax, um, you know, I started tax well into my accounting career. And one of the things that um, as a tax professional, it's really valuable to look at uh, how other people have done tax returns. So especially as you're learning taxes, learning about taxes, looking at taxes, the number of tax returns you look at, um, it's like reading or any other topic, uh, surgeons, doctors, the more they do it, the more they learn. And the same is true with, with tax. And so as kind of a young uh, person learning tax, uh, I was kind of thirsty to to see tax returns. I, the more I could look at tax returns, the more I could learn about how other, other people were doing taxes, the better I would be at doing taxes because there are, taxes are complicated. There's no question about it. Just that average individual just with one w-2 job that's not terribly complicated but every time you add another layer of fact pattern the more complicated it gets and every time there's a decision in the tax planning um, kind of matrix of decisions or tax planning decision tree uh, that's a, an option there's lots of optionality in the tax code so uh, the combination of those different options can result and, and outcomes that are significantly different. And so figuring out the best you know, tax tree, the best diagram is, is really where tax accountants make their money. And so from an individual's perspective, from a tax planner's perspective, what better place to look for kind of clues as to what might be a good strategy than you know, people that publish their tax returns, because most people don't publish their tax returns. They're, the, the presidents are pretty much the only ones, and, and some of them begrudgingly, or some of them are forced to kind of disclose this information. Um, that's Otherwise, you, you don't get people's tax returns. So there's no tax returns out there. My, I don't publish my tax returns, right? So it's a, so it's a kind of a, a unique situation where, oh, wow, we get to look at these tax returns, and oh, by the way, they're prepared by some of the best tax planning professionals uh, in the country. And so, you know, they, the only thing is that sometimes there's ulterior motives behind the way that presidents and presidential candidates structure their taxes. So kind of learning about the, their, you know, why they're doing things the way they're doing, even that gives us some insights. Um, so most people, I would say, their objective is to minimize their taxes. But even at the individual level, that's not always the case. Sometimes people don't want to minimize their taxes because they know that they're going to have to give their taxes to, for example, the bank because they're going to get a loan or they need to do a business deal and the and tax disclosures are part of that. And so they might decide to do their taxes a little bit differently, the same way that a president or a presidential candidate might decide to do their taxes a little bit differently because they know there's going to be an audience for that tax return. So uh, just that's obviously uh, the main reason I would say is, I mean, what better place than, than to learn and, and who better to learn from than, than some of the best professionals in the country. Now you say that presidential candidates <clears throat> are not required to publicize their tax returns, but the public kind of expects candidates to release them, kind of gives you a sense of what that candidate is like. You have what you call the, 
the four questions. The first one, are they a cheater? <clears throat> so is this something that tax returns can, can show if they're a cheater or not? Well, certainly I think there's obviously a learning gap. And part of that's part of the, the purpose of the book is to try to fill the gap. It's very hard, I would say, for a non-tax professional to identify cheating in a tax return um, just, you know, on its face. But yes, I do think having a discussion about how individuals have prepared their taxes, um, yeah, it can lead someone to a conclusion that someone is a cheat. And so I give the example of, of Richard Nixon. Uh, and taxes, to some extent, are not only about the letter of the law, but sometimes the spirit of the law. And, and Nixon's tax troubles, uh, he really violated both. Uh, and, and taxes is also about dotting your I's and, and crossing your T's. And so the Congress had clearly um, disallowed uh, the strategy that Nixon employed. And, and then the news leaked that he had done it anyway. Right. And, and all of that was overshadowed. And a lot of people don't realize that he had done something so egregious. It was overshadowed by the Watergate scandal. Uh, but nevertheless, yes, I think you can, you know, kind of learn that someone has done something that's really already been kind of spoken on as, as a no-no. And that's what happened with him. What did Nixon do that was really cheating or violating? This is a long time ago. I don't remember. <laughs> right. Well, and it wasn't really even publicized at the time because, I mean, and when, in hindsight, you know, right now we obviously have a divided country and everybody's kind of bickering about things. But, um, yeah, Nixon did something that, that I think most would don't even know about. He deducted, he took a charitable deduction for the donation of his presidential papers. Okay, uh -huh. so let, let's think about this. Right now, there have been discussions about, oops, maybe someone took some papers home to their house, right? Like all of the current, uh, you know, Mike Pence, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, everybody's like, oops, I have confidential papers at my house, right? Well, back in the 60s, bef before uh, Congress passed a law, Presidents actually owned, they were the owner of their papers. It wasn't this issue of these papers belong to the government. No, the president owned his own papers. But where the things kind of got dubious, so to speak, is they would then donate these papers to their presidential library and take a, it's, it's almost comical that, that this was allowed. They would take a charitable donation uh, donation deduction for then donating these papers that were a construct of their elected position to their presidential library. So Congress kind of learned about this and they actually passed a law that specifically made this, uh, that you weren't allowed to do this. Like, I, I don't want to say illegal because it, it's not that a donating of papers is illegal. Taking the charitable deduction for the donation of the papers was made illegal. And um, but Nixon did it anyway. And so the, the law was scheduled to go into effect and it had already been passed. It had actually already been signed. And, and he tried to squeeze it in right before it goes into effect. Uh, and, you know, he put a value on it of half a million dollars, which in today's terms is like $4 million. So he took a charitable donation for donating $4 million of papers to his library and and 
even though Congress had already passed a law that says you can't do this, the law just hadn't gone into effect yet. So obviously, I think that was a violation of the spirit of of the law. It had already been, you know, the the actual timing of the law going into effect. That is obviously important for many things. Timing is important. Um, but in this case, it was just a really dumb thing to do. So what and, happened? Was he penalized or what, what happened uh, when he tried to take so, that deduction? Well, so... Uh, it's unclear how how the news broke, and at the same time, right? There's news breaking every day about people breaking into office buildings. Um, you know, his vice president resigns. Uh, so there's all these other crazy things going on in his life as president. Um, but his famous line, "I am not a crook," that was in re- in response to a question about his taxes, and so he agrees to give his taxes to the Congress for inspection. And the Congress finds all sorts of problems. Specifically, um, he didn't dot his I's and cross his T's. There were, there were documents that didn't have the right dates on them because he had done it in a rush, presumably. Um, there were documents that didn't have dates on them. There were things that were signed after the dates that they should have been signed. Various problems. Um, so the, the Congress kind of sidesteps the issue of um, was this a technically legal for him to donate it before the deadline. It was clearly kind of against the spirit, right? Yeah. But but they sidestepped the issue of, of the valuation, the egregious, you know, $4 million valuation and say, well, you know, things weren't dated properly. So, so potentially, right, if he had dotted his I's and crossed all of his T's, the deduction would have kind of stood up to the scrutiny. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, again, it's uh, it didn't because there's lots of, I would say, lots of t- places in the taxes that you really do need to dot your I's and cross your T's. And especially if you're doing something that would be considered very aggressive or counter to clear congressional intent. Um, you know, so he, he was doing that and then, you know, backdating the signatures on documents is obviously not allowed. And that's what he did. And so, yeah, they reversed it. They said, um, sorry, this deduction is not allowed. Um, oh, and by the way, we were looking through all of your other stuff and you, we found a bunch of other stuff that you did, you okay. didn't do correctly. And so you're going to have to pay this money to the government uh, plus penalties and interest. Listen. And he did. Very yeah. good. Uh, we're yeah. going to take a break. We're going to take a break. This is uh, Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick. He's a CPA and CFA in Louisiana. He's the author of a new book called All the President's Taxes, what we can learn and borrow from the high-stakes world of presidential tax paying. You can find out more at a website related to the book, which is POTUS.tax. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. 
That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick. He's a CPA and CFA in Louisiana, uh, the founder of CMR Associates. Uh, he has put out a new book called All the President's Taxes, What We Can Learn and Borrow from the High-Stakes World of Presidential Tax Paying. And there's a website related to the book, which is POTUS.tax. Welcome back to the show, Charles. Thank you. You have a chapter on avoiding taxes versus tax evasion. One's legal, one's not legal, and particularly as it relates to presidents. Kind of how, tell us a little bit about the line between avoiding, which is legal, and evasion, which is illegal. Sure. Yeah, great question. And this, this is really kind of the crux of tax planning. Obviously, there's a whole profession, the CPA profession, uh, the tax planning profession, that looks at structuring transactions, that looks at avoiding certain types of transactions or actually engaging in certain uh, transactions that have a a tax-favored status. And it's no different uh, for a president. And there's kind of a common saying that, uh, you know, the government can't dictate how you structure your affairs. And so in most cases, right? Um, So the timing, for example, of when a transaction happens, whether or not a transaction happens on December 31st or on January 1st, that matters. And obviously that was one of the issues with Nixon. He tried to squeeze it in. But for everybody, the, the tax year, January 1 to December 31st, that's somewhat of an arbitrary time period. Obviously, it aligns with our our uh, fiscal calendar in many instances, but oftentimes businesses are planning on three, five-year time horizons, and and the 12-month period uh, that is the tax year is a bit arbitrary. So certainly a starting point in terms of tax planning is just looking at the calendar, looking at what other things are going on, and determining when you can structure or you know execute a transaction. But in general, when it comes to tax avoidance versus tax evasion, you're right. Avoidance is legal and evasion is illegal. So what is avoidance? Avoidance, and I like to give this example, there, there's a tax on cigarettes. There, everybody knows about it. Uh, if you buy cigarettes, you, you pay the tax, right? There's a really easy way not to pay the cigarette tax. Don't buy cigarettes. Right. And it's the same. It's it's the same idea when it comes to income tax and uh, tax credits. You can engage in activity 
that has tax preferences. And real estate is a great example of, of an industry that has clear uh, preferential treatment under the tax code. It used to be even better. It's still very good. You know, there's a bit of a pendulum in terms of all of the industries. Research and development is another one. If you're um, exporting uh, goods, if you're building semiconductors, right, all of these things that are t talked about, there's large legislation last year as it relates to semiconductors. The execution of Congress's uh, intent is oftentimes through the tax code. And the tax code has two primary purposes. One is to raise revenue, obviously. The second is to incentivize behavior. And so with the cigarette tax, uh, there, that's a sin tax, there's a clear motive to try to uh, reduce the number of people that, that consume uh, cigarettes uh, versus the research and development tax credit, where the government is, in effect, subsidizing uh, research and development through an incentive program built into the tax code. So that's really uh, the crux of it. When it comes to the presidents, obviously President Trump was a prolific, is prolific in terms of the real estate industry. He's in, uh, he's operating in an industry that is, uh, has clear tax preference, currently has had tax uh, preference for, for many, many years. And uh, there's lots of advantages from a tax perspective, legal advantages to being in the real estate business. So when it comes to avoiding taxes, engaging in, in activity that has preference under the tax code is a great way to avoid taxes. That's different than evading taxes, which is intentionally and illegally uh, not reporting transactions correctly under the law. So, so that's the big distinction there. Does that make sense? It does. And you specifically say about tax evasion, not reporting income, uh, taking you know deductions you know are not uh, legitimate, um, inflating deductions in various ways, uh, mm -hmm. off accounts. I mean, this is not something presidents have done, but I guess other people. Have well, money accounts. Well, it's it's certainly so. This is where right there's there's obviously. Uh, and part of the reason I wrote this book is this is a timely topic for a lot of reasons. Uh, Paul Manafort, right, was uh, he worked for for President Trump as as a campaign. There's campaign chairman, I believe, was his t official title. He uh, his taxes were scrutinized, and um, he was convicted of tax evasion. Right there, there are certain things that you can't do. Right, if there's a box that says, "Do you have any foreign bank accounts?" and you do not check that box and you have foreign bank accounts, um, that's illegal, right? That's especially if you're doing that with the intent to avoid paying taxes, which it was essentially just, you know, proved in, in court that that's what he was doing. He had offshore bank accounts. The tax law requires that you report those and pay taxes on them. And he didn't do it right by all accounts. And he was convicted of that. Right. So that is, you know, there's certainly people in the political circle that might be doing it. It's, it's just a, um, you know, I would say not something that, or cer certainly not something that we hope the president or um, presidential candidates are doing. But again, one of the reasons that we want to see their tax returns and kind of shine light on that, because obviously that would disqualify them immediately if that were discovered. Yeah. Now, our current president, President Biden, has uh, what you call the S-Corp strategy. Maybe just describe, I mean, he, he's not an S-Corp, he's the president, he's, he gets a salary. But I guess he has a business in addition to that. Explain his 
S-Corp strategy and how that might be helpful for other people with small businesses? Sure. Um, yes. So, correct. The, most of the tax strategies and most of the tax planning available uh, has to deal with uh, business owners, right? There, there are some strategies, for example, installing solar panels or buying an electric vehicle that, that pretty much everybody can access. But when it comes to most of the uh, common and more powerful tax planning strategies, there's really they're really only available to people who own a business. So in the context of business ownership, um, Biden has a business. And uh, uh, President Biden and, and his wife, Dr., uh, Dr. Biden, they both have businesses. And the way they've structured these businesses is they've structured them as S-corporations under the tax code. And what this means is that it's a, uh, this is a subchapter of the tax code that allows for a little bit of a hybrid between what's commonly referred to as a C-corp and a disregarded entity. And so, so it gives kind of the benefits of both. And a disregarded entity is reported on an individual's personal tax return, and uh, a S-corp has its own tax return, but it flows through. And so the main tax that people are trying to avoid with the S-Corp strategy is what's known as the payroll tax. And the payroll tax for most individuals is Social Security and Medicare tax, which is 15% on the first 150,000-ish, and then it drops down to about four-ish. And so, but it's a decent-sized tax, especially on a small business owner. And so if you use an S-Corp, the concept is you've separated the business from your personal return, and now you're required to pay yourself a salary, and only your salary is subject to employment taxes. So you can imagine that if you make $100,000 and only pay yourself $25,000, for example, you're going to save that payroll tax on the difference. And 15% of $75,000 is a decent amount of money. Now, Joe Biden made $10 million, and he paid himself a salary of 140000 And so, so he, he didn't pay payroll taxes on almost $10 million, right, which is a significant amount of tax savings. If you do the math, it's well over half a million dollars of tax savings and completely legal. Yeah, this is something that uh, the average person can do. Now, in general... Most people today take the standard deduction. The, the deduction was raised, so the vast majority of people today do not take itemized deductions. Is that correct? And therefore, the only way they can use these things is if they have a small business of some kind. That, that's correct. The 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 um, what's called the Tax Cuts and Job Act, uh, the legislation that was passed by Trump uh, and and the Republican Congress back in 2018. That certainly, uh, for many people, simplified uh, the tax code, made it so that the standard deduction was much higher. It reduced the ability for individuals uh, to to plan in many instances. So individual taxes got a lot simpler. Small business taxes, to some extent, actually got a lot more complicated. So a um, lot more decisions. There's an additional 20% deduction that, again, entities like S-Corps um, get currently uh, scheduled for potential phase out. So, uh, yes, I would say 
the most people that, that do tax planning have a business, but that doesn't mean most individuals can't start a business. And the most common business that that individual kind of wage earners, so to speak, start is a, is a real estate business. They get into rentals and um, potentially they have, uh, you know, the spouse or someone becomes a real estate agent. And that's a very powerful uh, tax strategy, as well as a pretty decent, just long-term investment strategy as well. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick. He's a CPA and CFA based in Louisiana. His new book is called All the President's Taxes, What We Can Learn and Borrow from the High-Stakes World of Presidential Tax Paying. There's a website related to the book, which is POTUS.tax. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick. He's a CPA and CFA in Louisiana. Uh, He's the founder of CMR Associates, and he's the author of a book, All the President's Taxes, what we can learn and borrow from the high-stakes world of presidential tax paying. And there's a website related to the book, which is POTUS.tax. Welcome back to the show, Charles. Thank you. So we talked about President Biden. So President Trump had a much more complicated, putting it mildly, tax return. Um, tell us about his business expense strategy and how he saved taxes using that. Sure. So with President Trump, obviously, there was the issue of um, actually getting access to his tax returns. So the book was written prior to the publication of his tax returns. So a lot of the book is a bit of uh, conjecture into what was reported by the New York Times and the New York Times, uh, you know, claimed to have seen his returns. But even the New York Times uh, was hesitant to accuse Trump of 
of doing anything illegal uh, because uh, they presumably know that it's very hard to make that conclusion, especially when it comes to business expenses. And so business expenses, uh, the criteria that Congress uses is, uh, is that income is taxable and deductions from income are a matter of legislative grace. So deductions are not um, necessarily, um, you know, I guess what's the word? Uh, they, Congress gets to decide what's a deduction and what's not a deduction. But they've also passed a law that pretty much says any business expense that's ordinary and necessary is an allowable deduction unless specifically not allowed. So there are some businesses and some business types that are not allowed to deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses. The most common business that isn't allowed to deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses are illegal businesses. So people that operate, for example, a, um, a marijuana dispensary, um, that's technically illegal under federal law, and they're not allowed to take deductions for ordinary and necessary business expenses. But besides that, pretty much every other business is allowed to take business deductions. Now, ordinary and necessary, as you might imagine, is a pretty broad term. And what is ordinary and necessary? Well, it's exactly that. It's very broad. So ordinary just means that it's something that most business owners would consider doing in the context of running a business. Necessary is interpreted very liberally to just, again, also be something that helped the business. And in practice, how this has been interpreted by the courts is that pretty much any expense that you can tie to business revenue in a way that's kind of makes economic sense uh, is ordinary and necessary. So Trump, for example, he has lots of businesses. And so pretty much everything he does, you could make an argument or tell a story that it has a business purpose. You know, he his plane, for example, says Trump on it. Right. And so maybe flying around the plane, it's a form of advertising. Um, it's the same with his hair. So I talk about his hair. You know, people might say, hey, he's not allowed to deduct his hair or he's not allowed to deduct his suit. Well, for most people, that's true. But if you're a celebrity that has a very popular TV show, that's not true. Right. Every, most people understand that. Uh, and they even see it in the credits when they watch a TV show that the wardrobe for for people on TV is is a perk of of being on TV and that's a non-taxable perk because it's a business expense right so to the extent that he's spending his own money to uh, make himself look good for a TV show that is 100% an ordinary and necessary business expense so what i do in the book is kind of explain this concept of ordinary and necessary and explain how the average person can use this flexibility to arrange their finances so that more of the things that they're doing are tax deductible, right? So a great example of an ordinary and necessary business expense as it relates to a real estate property owner, and again, the real estate's kind of the best way for the average person to get into tax planning, is if you have a rental property at a place that you like to visit. So for example, if you like going to the North Carolina mountains, or if you like going to Colorado or wherever you like going, uh, if you have a rental property at that location, then you can 
conceivably uh, go and visit like you would normally do, but now it's a business expense because you're going and checking in on your rental property, for example. And so trying to find a way to make those items that you're normally doing tax deductible, that's a real powerful tax strategy. And it might not be that 100% of what you're doing is going to be tax deductible, right? It's because there's going to necessarily be potentially some uh, personal component that's not tax deductible. But getting that uh, 50% of it, 75% of it uh, is tax deductible, that's, that's a win. And that's, that can be a big win, especially over time, because these numbers compound and people can just save a tremendous amount of money just doing a little bit of planning and using this flexibility to your advantage. So the bottom line on President Trump's taxes is they're huge, very complex, and he lost hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> that, um, I guess depreciation was a big part of it. But, I mean, is that something the average person can aspire to, is, you know, have these huge losses? I mean, meaning well, losses can offset any gains he would have you know, for eternity, basically. So I, I think that that's a little bit of a um, not exactly what happened. So so it is. The, so Trump's tax returns are very complicated. So that is true. Since they've been released, just one year of his personal returns is over 500 pages. Right. So there's lots of information there in in his returns. Tell a story as well. And the story dates back especially this part about business losses, the story dates back into the recession of 08, 09. And so part of the losses, and it's hard to tell because we don't have all of the years, but my belief is that some of his losses were a construct of the tax code. They weren't actual economic losses. There's a concept in taxes called basis, tax basis, which is effectively how much, it's, it's, it's kind of like how much money do you have in it, but it accounts for, it, it's reduced by losses and increased when you make income. And so we, we can see one of his business tax returns has a, has a tax basis of over half a billion dollars, which is an incredible amount of tax basis. There are very few people that have any business with a tax basis of a million dollars, let alone half a billion dollars, right? So the, this kind of story that he's, you know, doesn't have any money, that's, and you don't want to fake tax basis. That's not something that you just want to, you know, oh, I have half a billion in tax basis. No, you have, that's a real thing. And it's usually on the lower side. But yes, individuals can access these depreciation deductions because depreciation is 100% the best tax planning strategy as it relates to real estate. And real estate's the best tax strategy for the average person to get into. So understanding real estate, understanding accelerated depreciation as it relates to real estate, understanding what makes somebody a real estate professional as a, in an active uh, involvement in real estate. Is it an Airbnb? Is it a, a, a house that is uh, fully managed by another management firms? Kind of understanding these distinctions is really important. President Trump is clearly a real estate professional. Right. Real estate professionals have even more tax benefits than just the passive real estate investor. So he's the preferential of the preferential in a preferential business. Right. So um, so that's really where the individuals can benefit is learning what these rules are and, and then taking advantage of them themselves. You were saying a big part of his strategy is paying family members. Are there limitations on paying family members or did he 
kind of stretch the rules on that? So again, this is where a lot of what I was uh, kind of hypothesizing or theorizing is based on the New York Times reporting. And as you look through his actual published returns, it's very hard to kind of tease out how much he paid his family members and if he paid his family members. Even the New York Times reporting was such that it was a educated guess. Now, the reality is any business owner um, that has children that are capable of working, in most instances, it makes sense from a tax perspective to employ uh, the child because it's this form of tax rate arbitrage in which the child is typically in a lower tax bracket. As long as you can justify the payment to the child was made for actual work that the child did, uh, that type of strategy is, again, 100% legal. Now, it gets questionable if you're paying a toddler, for example, um, lots of money. But even there, there's creative ways to consider how to use the toddler in the business. The most common way is, you know, use the toddler as potentially um, a prop and some advertising and, you know, pay an advertising fee. But especially as kids get older into their teenage years, it's not only a good tax strategy, it's good education for the kids. So as, as a, a business owner myself, I really am excited to teach my sons and, and my daughter uh, about accounting. Now, they might not end up going into accounting, but if they want to come and work at my practice and help me uh, scan documents and, and review tax files and learn about that, I'm going to be more than happy to pay them. And, oh, by the way, I save money when I pay them. <laughs> so what better, what better thing to do than to teach my kids about my business and then also get a tax benefit at the same time? And I think a lot of business owners feel the same way. So do you think President Trump did it legitimately or did he push it too far in paying his family members? It, it's hard to say. It, I, I can't specifically see in his tax returns specific payments to his kids. So to some extent, it might be that the New York Times has some information that I don't have. I do not see payments to his kids in his tax returns. Uh, if he did pay his kids, I would say that his kids clearly are involved in the business with him. And it would be hard to argue that his kids um, were not in, entitled to compensation for the work they performed. People are allowed to overpay people. People are overpaid all the time. Um, it's not illegal to overpay someone. It's not illegal to overpay your kids. Um, so I would say that it would be very hard for him to have violated any law or to have uh, be accused of tax evasion as it relates to payments to his kids. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick, CPA and CFA, founder of CMR Associates based in Louisiana and author of All the President's Taxes, What We Can Learn and Borrow from the High-Stakes World of Presidential Taxpaying. Website related to the book is POTUS.tax. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Charles Renwick, a CPA and CFA in Louisiana. Uh, He's the author of a book, All the President's Taxes, where we can learn and borrow from the high-stakes world of presidential tax paying, a website related to the book is POTUS.tax. Welcome back to the show, Charles. Thanks again. So you have a chapter on fringe benefits. So what are some of the fringe benefits that, that presidents might take that we could learn from uh, that people, other people might be able to take as well? Sure. So fringe benefits are a very interesting uh, item. The idea behind fringe benefits is that a company has an employee, and the company wants to give money to the employee But now the company also is thinking about the employee and thinking about the after-tax benefit that the employee is getting from the money. And the company realizes that, wait a second, if I can help my employee not pay tax on the money that I'm giving them, then my employee is going to be happy and and they're going to have more money than, um, than they would have otherwise. So from the standpoint of fringe benefits, it's really this interesting intersection between what's best for the employee and what's best for the company. It's the company to some extent doesn't care. The company is going to take a tax deduction for the expense either way. It's just a question of, is the employee going to have to pay tax on what they're getting? And so the common fringe benefits like a company car, uh, health insurance, health insurance is obviously the biggest. There's just some rules that, um, that, surround how those things have to be done and as long as you follow the rules you know people are familiar with cafeteria plans for example for for benefits it seems just like something that happens but no there are actually tax laws that govern that that allow this special thing health insurance to be paid for by the company the company gets to take a tax deduction the employee gets to get it and doesn't have to pay any income tax on this benefit. So this is an exception to the general rule, which is an employee gets anything, they have to pay tax on it. So uh, the common kind of more smaller fringe benefits, coffee in the break room, snacks in the break room, um, things like that, right? Everybody kind of thinks of them. This is what is called a de minimis exemption under the fringe benefit laws. Um, Those are things. The problem comes when people take fringe benefits too far, right? And oftentimes this happens uh, with people that are kind of high up in the decision making at the company. And this is exactly what happened uh, to Trump's CFO, right? So we've all kind of maybe not everyone, but we've heard this kind of news about 
uh, Trump's CFO getting into trouble and, and this, what did he do? And no one really understands. Well, he took fringe benefits too far. At least that's how it was reported. And again, uh, he's now, uh, I think he either pled guilty or he got convicted of it. And what did he do? Well, he tried to get the company to pay for his children's K through 12 school, the company take a tax deduction and him not pay tax on it. Why did he do this? Well, it seems like he didn't want to pay the tax, right? But you can understand, most people understand that if if I'm going to pay for your child's education, that there should be first, that transaction should first be income, which is then subject to tax. And then what's ever left could then be used to pay for the kid's uh, education. So that is an example of taking a fringe benefit too far, right? Yeah. So the main thing when it comes to fringe benefits is that there are specific rules. So there's a laundry list of different fringe benefits, everything from like, are you, is the company allowed to pay for your parking, right? Is the company allowed to pay for your house? Is the company allowed to pay for whatever and you not pay tax on it? So a very common, another common fringe benefit is um, boarding or housing right while you're on company sponsored trips right so if you take a corporate trip for whatever reason and you go and you stay in a hotel and people don't realize it this is a thing you don't have to pay tax the company gets a deduction you get a night at the hotel and but there's a limit and that limit is one year right so so if you are on location and and you're having to work in new york um, and you're t you're normally you live in north carolina uh, the company can pay for your housing in New York up to one year and the company gets a tax deduction and you don't have to pay tax on it. So, and there's per diem that goes along with that as well. Per diem is another great example of, of a fringe benefit that people really like. Uh, most employees that I know love per diem because they get the cash. They then don't have to pay tax on that cash. And then it's up to the employee how they spend that money. Do you expect any major tax changes in the next in the Congress right now, which the Republicans control the House and the Democrats control the Senate. It seems like it's kind of a stalemate there, but looming in 2025, a lot of the uh, 2018 tax law expires. What, what do you think is going to happen in the next two years? Boy, that's the uh, million dollar question for sure. <laughs> um, the expiring provisions of the tax code are going to impact a lot of people. Right. And uh, the primary uh, benefits uh, that were given to small business owners uh, expired. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, for the Congress to to extend those. Now, my guess is that it's going to be a compromise. So my favorite part of politics is when when the representatives and Congress people make a compromise. I know there are a lot of people that you know, say no compromise. Well, I think our system only works when there's compromise. And so uh, the system can either, yeah, gridlock is a common term used to describe kind of divided government. And there's a lot of theory that says that our government was designed in a way to have gridlock, right? Our system, it's, it's a slow moving system. And so gridlock isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, it, but getting people to compromise and, and, and make it so that there's not this kind of cliff. The big thing with taxes and business owners is, is business owners need to be able to plan. And so knowing that there's this tax change kind of cliff in the, in the future, the closer we get to that cliff, 
the more painful it's going to be for the economy because if businesses aren't able to plan and don't have predictability in their in their taxes, then then they're going to be kind of handcuffed and not be able to make good business decisions. And that's a I would call a lose lose scenario. So my hope is that they're able to get something done. If there is nothing, I mean, if the Democrats control the Senate, you know, what was put through is pretty much put through by the Republicans controlling Congress, mm-hmm. White House. Say there is no compromise, how disruptive would it be to the economy if all the things in that law just expired in 2025? I would say very disruptive, um, especially just from the standpoint of tax planning. Uh, there's already an acute shortage of accountants. There's, it seems to be there's a, a shortage of every profession and every job and the supply chain issues. Now every business has to um, redo their tax plan and redo their thinking as it relates to their operational budgets. I mean, what a waste of time and money. There's no added benefit to anybody if that happens. All it is is a drag. So uh, if I think there's going to be a compromise, I would say that we'd probably see some compromise between what are called the blue states and the red states as it relates to the state income tax deductions. Right now, the law kind of caps those at $10,000. I would think that we'll probably see some movement there uh, in the form of compromise. We also might see some movement as it relates to research and development. And, um, you know, uh, I hope it gets done. No. In about two minutes, we have. I want to kind of summarize what people can learn from the president that affects their own taxes in a positive way. Sure. So, I think in general, educating yourself about the tax code is is positive for everybody, especially for small business owners. Small business owners, once they become successful, uh, taxes behind payroll will become their largest expense. And so it behooves small business owners to understand the tax code and work within it and kind of play their part, right? You obviously are going to end up owing taxes, but you don't owe the government any more than what the government says you owe them based on the tax law. And it's not illegal. It's called tax planning. So educating yourself and what better place to do that. And, and if you can relate to a topic, if you're interested in politics and you're also a small business owner, I think this is a great book that kind of works for you. If you're into real estate, it's kind of an accessible book that, that you can, you know, kind of look at the surface, get ready to have that first meeting with your first accountant or your first CPA and really feel confident that you, you know, know a little bit about taxes and can take that next step. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Charles Renwick. He's a CPA and CFA in Louisiana. Uh, He wrote a book called All the President's Taxes, What We Can Learn and Borrow from the High-Stakes World of Presidential Tax Paying. There's a website related to the book, which is POTUS.tax. Thanks so much, Charles. I think we learned a lot about taxes and the presidents in the last hour. Thank you so much. Enjoyed being here. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.